all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 186 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the mixed martial arts lightweight, light heavyweight bottom end edition of the SLS cast because it turns out that the light heavyweight division in mixed martial arts refers to competitors weighing at the minimum at the lowest end 186 pounds and just as a bonus factoid uh, the top end is 205 but with that wonderful information about mixed martial artists and their light heavyweight division and the minimum weight I, of course, am Matt, and coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim, which hopefully you can hear me significantly better now since I am not using an external freaking video camera that was picking up my audio as well as my microphone audio, and it was overriding said microphone audio. Tim again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we are after our failed experiment <laughs> last week. We are not doing the video thing this week. We may try again next week, though. So, um, how 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 was your week, sir? You know, my week was better as it went on. You see, we we didn't really talk about this last week, but you did mention the old devil's itch Tim had. But on Monday, we couldn't record last Monday because I had horrible sunburn from the weekend before. Went to the beach, even had an umbrella that I was sitting under, that, that me and the significant other were sitting under. Had some sunblock on, but not in the area that was directly in line of the sun. So I got a bad sunburn, and Monday at three o'clock-ish, while I was at work, I developed the old devil's itch, or hell's itch, or the suicidal itch, and it's where fair-skinned folk like myself, if you get all burned up, you have a high chance, a good chance of actually developing this, and it just, and the feeling of it is ridiculous. Like, I understand why they call it, or they did call it the suicide itch, because it feels like you have thousands of little tiny ants underneath your skin just crawling around and biting on you at any given moment. And you need a specific type of spray or ointment to put on. You can't use aloe or cortisone, whatever. You have to use a spray with lidocaine so that it actually numbs the burning area. Luckily... I'm doing significantly better this Monday, though I don't recommend that experience to any of you. Unless I hate you a lot, then I hope you have it every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's an oddly specific set of circumstances, but okay. And that was the third time I had it, too. I've had it two other times before, if you couldn't do the math there. Two other times. And it, it like each time has been strategically planned out it felt like by maybe satan himself i don't know like every every five years i get the itch i don't know it's crazy have you ever had any horrible sunburn like that before uh i have had um several times in my life when i have had uh bad sunburns but i have always been uh very fortunate to live in excellent areas for treatment of sunburn 
and have always had uh, either friends or associates, whatever, uh, and 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 even like at my home when I lived in Homestead, Florida, I had an actual aloe vera plant, and so we would just break off fronds from the uh, aloe vera plant and then peel them open, and I mean it's literally like a Vaseline gel. And you would just smear that all over you. Oh, yeah, it was great. So I never did have to suffer from the devil's itch. So what was the most uncomfortable place that you've had a sunburn? Mm. I I mean, honestly, the back. Yeah. Because when you get to a certain point, you know how, like, a lot of people have a hard time, like, scratching at the middle of the back or whatever? Um, And so you're desperately trying to reach this one area that might itch a little bit or need some form or fashion of relief. But not only can you not really get to it because it's difficult to get to when your arm is already sunburned or your hand or whatever, all the way, every time you're trying to reach it, you're just irritating another spot that's not needing to be scratched. And so it's like murder on your back as you try to get to that one spot on your back that you can't get to, and you literally just want to die. So it's like the Sophie's Choice of back sunburns. Yes, yes. So I would say definitely the snake spot on your back there yeah i'm i'm now in that lovely peeling stage speaking of peels <laughs> my skin is now, peeling. Are, are, are you trying to do now are you trying to do cool stuff where you can create skin pockets by peeling just the right areas and then you can like have little pockets and hold things and you know i currently have an area where i can clip my keys onto because I have <laughs> those little mountain climber keychain things. Yeah. Sure. But how was your week? What have you been up to? I know you had your uh, Father's Day. We didn't really talk about Father's Day too much. Did you have a successful Father's Day? Well, I was a father at the beginning of Father's Day and a father at the end of Father's Day. So I suppose that if that was to be a successful Father's Day. Uh, no, we, we just spent the weekend up in Oklahoma City uh, with my dad. And he wanted to take the kids to a place called Frontier City, which is a, um, you know, it's just a a Six Flags light kind of a thing. Uh, they did have several roller coasters, though. I was pretty impressed with the selection of roller coasters for uh, for what they were and the size of the park. The girls had fun. And uh, we spent the night in Oklahoma City, downtown Oklahoma City, and then... Spent the next day on the river walk that they have down there. And, yeah, the girls uh, got to discover the Bass Pro Shop. That was kind of funny because they'd never been in one. So, like, oh, what the heck. Were their minds blown by all the, the assortment of fishing gear? Well, they were more impressed with all of the boats that they had inside <laughs> than anything else. But uh, And the huge, they have this uh, huge aquarium at the back. Uh, and so they liked that as well. But, um, yeah, um, so that was, and, you know, and then the rest of the time was traveling back and forth from Oklahoma City to Houston, which is a nice about eight-hour trip. Yeah. We've got uh, news of the weird and uh, some email to look at. Ooh. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to start with the email. And the email, of course, which we actually don't have email this week, 
but we do have some Twitter followers. And Miranda actually said something very funny on Twitter that I didn't catch. And thankfully, I, it hit our inbox. So I wanted to respond to that. Uh, but the email, of course, as always, is the show at slscast.com. Uh, we do have, as I said, some Twitter followers to mention. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. Um, our Twitter followers that we have are Thomas Linwood, which is at Linwood underscore Thomas. So thank you for following us there. And of course, there's another podcast following us now as well, uh, which is interesting because it's a D&D role-playing podcast. They must have found out about me. They found out about my proclivities. Uh, and that's um, The Steel Empire, which is at Empire Steel. So thank you, guys for giving us the old follows there. Um, but Miranda had, uh, yesterday listened to the show, and she says, at the SLS cast, wait, so a shark pulls out a knife and you guys decide to jet? What an interesting snap decision. <laughs> what side represent? I thought that was really cool, right? Sharks, jets, right? West side story. I just, um, I, I thought that was definitely super clever and... I'm glad that Miranda sent that. So thank you, Miranda. Um, yes. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah. So that was in response to our our almost getting shanked story from last week. Yes. At, at the pool hall. Yeah. I was a jet once back in community <laughs> theater. I was diesel. <laughs> The jet, the tap dancing tough guy jet, and I had nice. I had to do Officer Crumpke, which you know Officer Crumpke, right? Yes. Okay, so Officer Crumpke, I, I'm down on my knees because no one wants a person with a social disease. Yeah, um, that's kind, that was kind of my thing, but I put a very uh, retarded spin on it, and that apparently was the highlight so, of. So you were so. Officer ground key. I'm down on my knees. <laughs> I'm no, here to dance no, no, for you. No, no, the socially dis, the you know socially disturbed. But you know you'd put in the heavy uh, the heavy accent and like all the all the jets kind of had like their own little segment of the song. And mine was, you know, Officer Crumpy, yada yada yada, and it all it ended with you know socially disturbed, but it was socially disturbed kind of thing. But how it went along after that, of course, so everybody they actually goes calmed it down. They, call, they didn't actually let you say social disease. They said social disturb. Uh, I, I'm probably getting it wrong, but it was one of those things. And uh, and then at the end, then after I say that, you know, then the chorus goes, you know, uh, he's disturbed. He, well, not not that one, but I guess no. it's like a second chorus or whatever. He's disturbed. He's disturbed. Da, 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 he's socially disturbed. But during that thing, as they're kind of clapping and doing their hop skipping and jet, you know, whatever thing, 60s things, I'm doing this very mentally handicapped kind of like have you ever seen that video where the guy is in the bathroom stall and a handicapped person comes in then he realizes that he's in the handicapped stall and he's trying to figure like he comes up with the only solution he can so that he doesn't seem like a total asshole and that is him busting through the stall and just kind of like walking like a dyslexic herman munster kind of all over the place well that's what i did no, no. <laughs> during that little <laughs> It's a thing, and that's what I did during that thing, during the, and, and apparently, me doing that, me walking around like a, a handicapped Herman Munster was the highlight of this community theater's production of West Side Story during the summer of 2006. 
Who knows? It wow. still might even be a highlight of the company itself. So, very cool. Go social disease. Yeah, I I just figured y'all really played up the crump you at the end, but apparently no, that does not. Okay, very cool. All right. Well, then, I guess I'm going to move into the news of the weird right quick. Now, you remember that I offered you the choice between dissolved or dissolved mm-hmm. last week? And then you, you know, and we did the person who was dissolved in the Yellowstone Spring because they're an idiot. Well, this one, this story comes to us uh, from cbc.ca, uh, which is uh, Ottawa's CBC News in Canada. Uh, and this comes to us by way of Stu Mills. It says, Smith's, Smith's Falls, Ontario funeral business dissolves the dead, pours them into town sewers. <laughs> quote, you come in by water and you leave by water, end quote, says business owner. <laughs> and there is a wonderful picture here. Uh, let me uh, send you here, Tim, I'm going to link this to you in in, in DOS chat. Is it him, stump. like, happily dumping the liquid human into a drain? Oh, no, wow. No, no, no. It, 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 is, it is showing you the actual bin that you get cremated in. Now, this is actually, it sounds a lot weirder um, and off more off-putting than it actually is. Uh, what this is, is this is actually considered green cremation. So they slide your body into the tube that you see there, or container, and they add in a couple of, uh, several different chemicals, uh, two of which are the primary chemicals, and it literally dissolves flesh, dissolves organs, it dissolves everything, with the exception of skeletal tissue. But the skeletal tissue then has to be dried out properly because it's actually pretty malleable after that. But the thing is, is that um, it literally has no difference in pH or balance than normal sewage. <laughs> so it just gets flushed down to the sewer system and then gets treated like everything else and then eventually ends up like drinking water. So Ottawa people have a good chance of, you know, consuming their loved ones later on. Uh, but this apparently is much uh, better on the environment because it doesn't release carbon or smoke into the atmosphere because they're not actually burning anything. Um, and then they have a way to pulverize the skeletal remains until it's a fine dust, and that would be your ashes that the loved ones get, which can be scattered just like normal cremated ashes. I don't know. This so, is This is kind of like borderline news of the disturbing, really. um like i'm pretty sure that's not what it looked like coming out of my mother (laughs) (laughs) so it's just a really interesting yeah so i was really uh impressed i mean there i like the bylines here you know environmentally friendly cremation um and then the next one is quote nothing to be concerned about and (laughs) um um yeah, it's it's a really fascinating article, but I just I think it, it is definitely weird that people are out there now pushing liquid quote unquote cremation, you know. Um and and it's green and environmentally friendly and what have you. So um yeah. Uh, what 
what what do you think, Tim? What, is this is this a way you'd like to go flushed flushed away, as it were? I don't know. I, I would hate to be the one that had to clean that thing out. Yeah, you know? like would you have to crawl yeah, in there to clean it out? Or oh, I don't know, man. I'd be using a high pressure hose. I ain't kidding. I'm gonna hook up to the fire hydrant. I don't care what you say. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing doesn't look nearly as long to fit. Like a what if you were like six foot one? Do they have to like stuff you in there? Like I have no idea how it works. Um, it yeah, I have no idea. Maybe they cut you in half and stuck you. You know, I, don't, I, have no, I have no idea. I mean, it's not like you're gonna feel anything, right? So uh, yeah, but that's uh, that was my news of the weird. And I guess if you like, we can actually do some real news. Sure. For whatever it's worth. Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> First up for me, uh, pretty light news here um, from the HollywoodReporter.com by way of Naye Bouchon. Brendan Fraser replaces Ray Liotta in Indian mafia thriller The Field. Yes, folks, the mummy actor will play a gun runner in the bilingual title to which Ray Liotta was attached earlier. Yes, that is right. Uh, Fraser will play the role of Charu, an American expat gunrunner, quote, whose illicit dealings with the Indian underworld wedge him in the middle of the family implosion, end quote. Because apparently the star or the story of the field uh, revolves around an Indian land mafia family fighting internal battles following the death of the family's patriarch. Um, but let's see here. It says here that Ray Liotta was earlier attached to play the role when the project was first announced in 2014, but the director said script changes led to Fraser's casting. Um, now, I'm just curious. Is Indian cinema, like, like the Z-list now? Like, it, when your career literally has nowhere else to go and you've exhausted all the other foreign markets, you just try and find Indian mafia films? Or... Um, do you think that this is an interesting creative approach for originally Ray Liotta, but now Brendan Fraser? W was that a question to me? Because I yes. know absolutely yes. nothing about Indian film filmmaking or film connoisseuring or connoisseurs. I just wonder, <laughs> like, what if... I mean, I okay, I know Ray Liotta hasn't been in the best movies as of late. I know he, I mean, especially maybe the last 10 years, he's been in more stinkers than hits i suppose mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's something about ray liotta that doesn't really scream brendan frazier you know like i really couldn't picture brendan frazier <laughs> in goodfellas for example yeah that, that's why i think it's interesting that as the script evolved they decided they needed more brent i don't i guess i don't know maybe they needed a character that you know had a little bit more of a likability factor in terms of just someone that is capable of doing bad things, but has that look about them that belies that they're capable of doing bad things because Ray Liotta is a great actor and he can definitely play a bad guy. But I mean, he, he looks the part of someone who could do bad things, yeah. right? Brendan Fraser, on the other hand, might 
have a little bit more trouble being convincing in terms of that, but definitely has the appeal of um, not looking as much the tough guy. I don't know. I just think it's really weird that, um, you know, we're seeing more and more stars drift, not just to other film markets, but I mean, more and more obscure cinema. Right. I mean, just like last week with Pacino and Hopkins making the 150 bucks in some obscure (laughs) crime drama, you know, so we needed more Brennan Frazier said nobody since 2000, the year 2000. Which is really kind of a bummer because I like Brennan Frazier. I I think I don't know. I don't I guess I just don't know what went wrong. Yeah. You know, I don't know where it went because by all accounts that I've ever read, uh, he doesn't seem to be an asshole. He's not like a jerk to people on set and he's, he doesn't seem to be difficult to work with. Um, and, you know, a lot of his films have just been damn entertaining. Even if they aren't the best movies, they've just been damn entertaining. I mean, come on, Blast from the Past you can't say you don't like that movie. You can say it's not the best movie, but you can't say you don't like Blast from the Oh, it's past. a great movie. I think it's a super underrated a, that, movie. I, I think that, I think, yeah, I think that is a, a perfect encapsulation of Brendan Fraser. Just a likable dude doing a good movie that is generally underrated. Um, and then, you now you don't hear from it, hear from it anymore. So. I do kind of wonder if it was because of he has he hadn't really like defined himself as to what kind of actor he was and what kind of roles Golly he should take gee, on. You mean like an actor who can do all sorts of different acting? Well, I know, but I was I'm wondering if maybe it probably I think it kind of hurt him doing like George of the Jungle and Dudley Do Right, which I will say. I mean, I haven't seen him in many, many, many years, but I remember like actually enjoying Dudley Do Right. But see, that's the thing is, that was the bridge, right? That was the bridge from Encino Man, right? And then he bridged off into that stuff and then eventually did, like, Blast from the Past and then landed, like, The Mummy. Well, Blast from the Past and George of the Jungle, like, all that stuff happened around the same time. Also, The Mummy, because that was all 96, 97, 98, or 97, 98, 99. Because I know George of the Jungle came out in, like, 97 and Blast from the Past came out in 98 or 99. And that's why I said, I mean, I, I think after 2000 or 2001, see, he did The Mummy Returns. I think that came out in 2001 or 2002. But then after that, nothing at all. He did some uh, dramatic roles. Yeah, that is weird. Okay. All right. So here we go. From uh, Wikipedia, we have George of the Jungle in 97, uh, Blast from the Past in 99, along with The Mummy in 99, and Dudley Do-Right in 99. And then Bedazzled, and then Monkey Bone, <laughs> which was, okay, that one was a weird movie, uh, although Chris Kattan is hilarious. Yeah, but see, the last 30 minutes of that movie is so worth it. Uh, and then we have The Mummy Returns, and then, see, and then Looney Tunes back in action, again, underrated, um, for me anyway, and then, see, but then we have like Journey to the Center of the Earth, and The Mummy... G.I. Joe, yeah, I mean, it just like, I don't know, I guess maybe he started picking bad stuff. Did you see the, the third mummy, the Revenge of the Mummy? I don't know, is that the one where the terrible CGI uh, rock, Scorpion King one? 
No, that was the second one. That's the Mummy Returns. The third one oh, is okay. god awful. It was with Jet Li. It had, it was like an Asian mummy or something. Oh yeah, I did not see that one then. And I guess I did not. It see was that. so bad. Rachel Weiss or Weiss didn't want to reprise her role as that's Evie. right okay you know what i did see that movie you're right i because i remember rachel weiss not being in it and wondering why the hell she wasn't in it and then when i saw the movie i was like okay that makes sense yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i think it was directed yeah. by it was directed by um oh shit he's made uh, i think one or two decent movies he did uh the first triple x but he he hasn't made a single good movie after that. I think. I think yeah, he's only made like two decent movies. I think he also did the 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 long kiss or the kiss goodnight, or not not the kiss goodnight, the kiss uh, uh shit the movie with Sam Jack and Gina Davis. Long kiss goodnight. Who are we talking about? Yeah, hang on. Let me let me look that up. Oh no, that's Rennie Harlan did long kiss. Yeah, goodnight. I was going to say that him. was her husband. That was, yeah. I am thinking of. That's it's not even the Revenge of the Mummy is the name of the Mummy ride at Universal Studios. Let's see what the Mummy three oh two the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, twelve percent on Rotten Tomatoes, directed by Rob Cohen. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah, the movie was oh, a Rob Cohen huge bomb. Yes, what hell happened to him? Yeah, because he did some great stuff. Because he did Dragonheart. He did uh, Dragon, Bruce Lee's story. He did the original Fast and Furious. He did the original Triple X. Yeah, okay. I know he did. Yeah. Yeah, but like, Triple X was the last decent movie he made. Yeah. It's like, what What the hell happened? Yeah. <laughs> well, this was a very fun Brendan Fraser tangent. Yeah, way big detour. <laughs> way, way big detour. All right, so were you doing... No, no, you haven't even done your news I yet. I have Go, not. Do news. No. It's what, like an hour and 35 minutes later? <laughs> Jesus Christ, I think so. All right, I'm going to do a piece of fun news as well from the HollywoodReporter.com. Rapid round, Swiss Army Man directors on why their filmmaking is like therapy. Uh, this is actually kind of a meaty article here. It's a, it's a conversation article, I guess. There is a piece of this article, Matthew, that really caught my mind, and it's a, it's a movie. Uh, and I said I told I told you during pre-show that it was a Marlon Wayans movie. That he wanted to direct Scheinert, the director of Swiss Army Man. Like, he wants to direct a Marlon Wayne's classic, <laughs> or not so classic, but he wants it to be a hard R and an Oscar worthy drama. Now, Matt, what Marlon Wayne's movie do you think he is talking about? Or a Wayne's Brothers movie? All right, so he wants to recreate a Wayne's Brothers movie. Um, have it be a hard R, so therefore. Their movie was an R, an Oscar-worthy drama. So think about all their movies and the potential that they could have with a quirky director like Shineart behind the wheel. I don't know. Low Down Dirty Shame? No. Uh, Major Pain? No. <laughs> I'm just trying to go weird at this point. Go for it. I, what, what? Okay, so the Hollywood Reporter guy said, do you have a dream project? Asked him. Uh, Scheinhardt says that every project we make is us trying to reach some sort of weird and silly cosmic dream. Quan, what about your white chick's dream? Scheinhardt, oh, oh my God, one of my really? dreams is to make white chicks as a hard R <laughs> Oscar worthy drama starring the original cast. It would be about gender and race, and race relations in the 21st century starring the Waynes brothers. 
I don't know if you have seen White Chicks lately, but it has a lot of meat to it and explores everything like class, gender, race, the handicapped, and age, Quan then says, but it explores it in the worst possible way. End all quotes there. It's just, I mean, I don't know how you turn dialogue Buffy the White Girl Slayer and make it Oscar worthy. I don't know how you do that. But okay. But it's, I just kind of like, so. how could they make, I mean, I'm sure now, you know, with advances in technology, I mean, even when White Chicks came out in 2000 and whatever, their makeup was god awful. They didn't break any technological bounds while making that movie. But nowadays, they could do it, but I just think it would be the biggest, most entertaining, hard R, Oscar-worthy flop. I, I kind of would like to see that. I would kind of like to see this happen. The guy who directed the movie about a farting corpse that has been getting good reviews directing white chicks. That's weird. Yeah. Chew on that weird. news, why don't you? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to wrap up my news here right quick. I got a pair of stories that uh, from the Star Universe. One is Star Wars. One is Star Trek. So here we go. Real quick from comicbook.com by way of Lucas Siegel. James Earl Jones confirmed as voice of Darth Vader in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, it's a very short article, so I'm just going to hit the highlights. If you would like to read the whole thing, because it wouldn't take you very long, please head over to comicbook.com and check it out. Uh, basically, Darth Vader, because clearly the movie is about stealing the plans to the Death Star, so you know it wouldn't make sense for Darth Vader to not be in it. So he is in it. Um, it's not a huge role, but apparently it's going to be important, and James Earl Jones will be voicing it. If you'd like more details than that, again, check that out um, at comicbook.com. And finally here, I have um, from StarTrek.com slash fanfilms, the new guidelines here that are done for... Uh, CBS and Paramount, who are big believers, according to them, in reasonable fan fiction and fan creativity. Um, they, they, they said the, the following thing. These are the guidelines for avoiding objections. Now, you have to remember that during the years when there haven't been any movies or TV shows, we have still had a huge, uh, we've had a plethora of great uh, to mediocre um, fan projects, but even the mediocre ones um, have dedicated fan followings, and as well they should, because for their for their fans and, and and for what they're trying to do, they keep Star Trek alive and they keep it fresh and current um, for their followers and stuff. So when I read a few of these things here again, uh, and you can just go to StarTrek.com/fan-films, and you can look at all these for yourself. So. They say here that, number one, the fan production must be less than 15 minutes for a single self-contained story, or no more than two segments, episodes, or parts, not to exceed 30 minutes total, with no additional seasons, episodes, parts, sequels, or remakes. So that right there, if nothing else, has already shut out virtually every single fan series that has been done so far. Uh, let's see here. Uh, you're not allowed to use the name Star Trek. However, your subtitle must say a Star Trek fan production. Uh, let's see here. I think... 
Oh, yes, here's number five. Uh, the fan production must be a real, quote, fan, unquote, production, i.e. creators, actors, and all other participants must be amateurs, cannot be compensated for their services, and cannot be currently or previously employed on any Star Trek series, films, production of DVDs, or with any of CBS or Paramount Pictures' licensees. Um, again, they have literally just slapped the face of every, virtually every single successful fan production ever. Um, and, and if you read these things, this has basically been tailor made to just shit all over Axanar. Now, regardless of what you think of Alec Peters or Axanar, um, I think that's just, uh, what they're doing to everybody else. Um, without seeming to give a flying fuck is what really pisses me off here. Um, moving over to the rap.com, uh, by way of Joe Otterson, we have a kind of a response here. It says, Axonar producer responds to Star Trek fan film guidelines, quote, very disheartening, end quote. Quote, these guidelines appear to have been tailor-made to shut down all of the major fan productions and stifle fandom, end quote, Alec Peters says. <clears throat> quote, these guidelines, uh, let's see, in no way can that be seen as supportive or encouraging, which is very disheartening, end quote. Again, also Alec Peters. Um, the 10 new guidelines include provisions that state no fan project can use the name Star Trek in any way except for a subtitle identifying as a fan production, and in addition, it cannot be distributed in a physical format such as DVD or Blu-ray and must include a disclaimer in the credits. Um, this is, uh, I mean... This is retarded. Uh, I, I just have no other way to put it simply and succinctly. So for me, congratulations, CBS and Paramount. You've lost me. I'm gone. Until this changes, until you've got something that is at least equitable for fans to continue to produce things that have literally kept you in fucking business for the last 40 fucking years, 50 years now, because, you know, we're in the 50th anniversary. Um... Fuck you. You know what? You need to make this nice. You need to make it work. And the fact, the, the sheer fact that Axanar exists shows you that people are willing to pay for things that you're not willing to produce. And if you're not willing to produce it and you still get the umbrella coverage and the umbrella of recognition and uh, keeping your brand alive... You need to find a way to play nice with these people and, and if, and, and get these people to have buy-in with you. Um, and if you can't do that, then quit fucking stifling everybody, everybody, and figure out something else to do with your goddamn time. So I'm out. No more Star Trek for me. No more Star Trek movies. No more Star Trek TV shows. No more nothing until this is resolved satisfactorily for me, for me. Maybe you don't, maybe you side with CBS and Paramount on this. Maybe you don't like what Alec Peters has had to say or has done or what Axonar triggered. Uh, maybe you don't care about fan productions at all, so it doesn't matter to you. But to me, it does. Because you would not have had Into Darkness or Star Trek, the 2009 reboot. You would not have had the movie that's coming out on the 22nd without all of that stuff. Love it or leave it, you know? So that's me. Tim, questions, comments, concerns on either Star Wars with James Earl Jones or the Star Trek nonsense? Uh, James Earl, Earl, Earl Jones, very cool. I really do hope Darth Vader isn't a 
in the movie a lot because I think it's about time we get over Darth Vader and move on to something different, especially for Rogue One being the first non-episode Star Wars movie. As for Star Trek, I can understand where Paramount is coming from. It's just, I do I do think that there should always be restrictions when it comes to fan films and limitations, but you don't want to completely screw people over. I think the I think a, a, a specifically the runtime is what did it for me. Yeah, I understand people that uh, have some kind of direct relation to a series or one of the movies. They don't want any other actors uh, or workers or whatever working on these side fan projects. I get that. I understand. You know, I would even be fine. But see, that's just it, though. Is that like, for example, you want disclaimers. That's fine. I think that is perfectly reasonable. You should have a disclaimer. You want to make you want to make sure that there's um, that people aren't profiting off of it. Absolutely. Also, totally understandable. I get that as well. But like, you can't use an actor ever. I mean, Jesus Christ. What if it was like a fucking extra? I mean, at this point, you can't use someone who worked for fucking craft services. Did you make that fucking crepe for Picard once? <laughs> Fuck you. You can't go. I mean, did you make those pizza rolls on October thirteenth of nineteen ninety two? I mean, seriously, it's it's gotten that ridiculous. So you know, it's just like I said. I mean, really, the cherry on top for me, what really did it in was is the length. I think you can do it. Can't be no more than well, like twenty minutes, and you thirty. Basically, yeah. You the best you can do is thirty minutes, and that's if you were to try and do two fifteen minute episodic kind of things right with i mean whatever. and then you can even so. have like a part two or volume two they can't be like none of the same characters they can't be directly uh related if you were gonna make another 15 minutes or another 30 minutes or whatever this and you know and to me that's what that's what gets me you know that that is what gets me but it's not to the i mean i don't know i can't it'll bother me more if it turns out that they're doing this because star trek beyond absolutely sucks and that they just want people to go and see star trek beyond uh because in some way they're worried that maybe axonar is going to be significantly better than beyond i don't know and how and how does that make i mean and how does that help cbs at all like i mean when someone has some has done something and you know raised two million bucks you know um and is out doing something that they've spent you know 200 million on yeah you know. Yeah, no, you're so. right. I mean, I understand. Yeah, I know. I definitely know you're not the only one because I've been, you know, reading, you know, blogs and stuff. So people are pretty upset. But I guess I will close out the news with uh, these two pieces of news quickly here. I know Matt's most anticipated trilogy that will be coming out in a handful of years is the Tetris trilogy. <laughs> That's right. From EmpireOnline.com. This is an article written by Phil DeSimilin. This came out on June 27th, today, as of recording, and the article is entitled... You know, I'm sure there is a title, but to be honest, no title is popping up. But it says this. One of the new Empire's many scoops and exclusives includes a chat with man who's bringing the unlikely-sounding Tetris movie to the big screen, Larry Kasanoff. Yes, this film is real. Yes, it's the beginning of a possibly new franchise... The filmmaker, whose CV includes Paul W.S. Anderson's Mortal Kombat and an executive producer credit on True Lies, is keen to stress that it won't just involve 
anthropomorphized blocks doing battle, quote, we're not going to have blocks with feet running around the movie, in quote, he tells Empire, quote, but it's great that people think so. It sets the bar rather low, in quote. That's nice for some to say. The production currently going by Untitled Tetra Sci-Fi Project on IMDb is conceived as exactly that. Quote, We want the story to be a surprise, but it's a big science fiction movie, in quote, Kasanoff reveals. Quote, I came up with the idea as I was thinking about Tetris and the theme of creating order out of chaos, end quote. Casting is already well underway, presumably with an eye on the boom market of China. It'll have a global feel in a partly China-set shoot. Quote, I guarantee you it's not what you think, end quote, cautions Kasanoff, as we imagine what Fallout Boy's version of the Tetris theme might sound like. Quote, no one has come remotely close to figuring out what we're doing. End all quotes there. Next up, Gizmodo.com. Stop worrying about spoilers. They actually help you enjoy the story more. Written by Jennifer Olette here. It is a truth universally acknowledged that pretty much everyone hates spoilers. That's me including. The internet was furious with former Detroit Tigers player Michael Sands for accidentally tweeting a major spoiler for The Force Awakens. And this week, this week being May 25th, a couple months ago, we learned about a vengeful ex-girlfriend who deliberately spoils Game of Thrones for her former paramour each week. But maybe we should all just chill the fuck out, because it turns out that spoilers could actually enhance our enjoyment of our favorite show. That's the message of a new video from the University of California, San Diego, highlighting the work of psychology professor Nicholas Christenfield over the last five years or so. There's a video about this, but underneath the video it says that Christenfield published the results of his initial study on spoilers in psychological science back in 2011. For those three experiments, he and his UCSD colleague, Jonathan Leavitt, Divided participants into two groups. One group read short stories from various genres, ironic twist, mystery, and literary, and rated how much they liked them when they were done. The other group received a short introduction that deliberately spoiled the narrative before they read the stories and rated them. The result, almost all participants said they enjoyed the spoiled stories more. Kristen Field followed up two years later with a study in the scientific study of literature. This time, he didn't let participants from the spoiled group finish reading the stories before asking them to rate their enjoyment. The idea was to, to determine whether the enhanced enjoyment came from knowing the ending. That turned out not to be the case. Even when asked to rate their pleasure halfway through the story before the spoiled ending, subjects still enjoyed those stories more than unspoiled ones. What definitely doesn't work is incorporating spoilers directly into stories. That simply makes for bad storytelling. So what's going on? Kristen Field thinks that spoilers free us up from having to pay too close attention to the plot, thereby enabling us to focus on other richer aspects of the book, film, or TV show of choice. Character development, sensory descriptions, or minor details we may have missed the first or second time around. Quote, if you're driving up Highway 1 through Big Sur in California and you know the road very well, you can now peek around and admire the view, the otters frolicking in the surf, end quote, he said. But the first time you drive that route, 
you are focusing almost entirely on all the twists and turns, and you miss all that scenic detail. End all quotes there. The article does go on for a bit more. There's charts, diagrams, videos. Do check it out. Again, gizmodo.com. Stop worrying about spoilers. They actually help you enjoy the story more. Matt, what do you think? Um, Again, I think reading a story, reading literature, is significantly different from viewing a movie. While you're reading a book, you're envisioning things in your mind. Your imagination is kind of kicking in. When you're watching a movie, they're providing you with the framework you're a visual framework, and I, to me at least, I think that is significantly different from reading a book because you're limited to what your, I guess what what your what your vision is registering when you're reading, opposed to your imagination running wild while reading. What do you think? Yeah, I at the end of the day, for me, I don't care if you feel that or if this article is trying to posit that spoilers have the potential to actually make you enjoy something more. Um, I. For me, the fun is in not knowing. The fun is in being able to put that into your mind. And yes, I do also agree that um, reading versus watching um, is using complete different parts of your brain. uh, And I think it definitely has the ability to alter the way you're enjoying something and finding something out. Yeah, so I agree with you on that, sir. And that's my news. And do let us know, oh. folks out there listening. We're curious to know what you think. And uh, in case you forgot, the show at slscast.com. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and move into our next seg- our bonus segment for this week, which, of course, is Did It Age Well? Police and the fire departments are asking It is morning. Stay off the phone. You wake up. Hey, 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 come on. You greet your loved ones. You grab the morning paper. And although it seems like any ordinary day, it isn't. For one extraordinary reason. historic and unprecedented event has occurred. The question of whether or not we are alone in the universe has been answered. This is so cool. More ships have just arrived over India, England, and Germany. I really don't think they flew 90 billion light years to come down here and start a fight. We've got to stop them! They're going to kill us all! They're using our own satellites against us. The clock is ticking. Counteroffensive with a full nuclear strike over American soil. If we don't strike soon, there may not be much of an America left to defend. Being exterminated. Let's kick the tires and light the fires. We're looking at worldwide destruction in the next 36 hours. Oh, you can't hit nothing! Should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on, 
We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. That's what I call a close encounter. And we are actually going to be covering 1996's Independence Day. Yes, uh, it actually released July 2nd, 1996. So we're technically like three or four days away as we record on the 27th of June. Uh, We are technically, you know, what, five days away from uh, it being 20 years old. But I think we're going to let it slide, especially since we're going to be covering the sequel here in a bit. Um, But yeah, so 1996, epic science fiction film, uh, and it was directed and co-written by Roland Emmerich, sorry, and stars uh, Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, Mary McDonald, Judd Hirsch, Margaret Colon, Randy Quaid, Robert Loggia, uh, James Reborn, Vivica A. Fox, and Harry Connick Jr. And of course, we do have... um, Brent Spiner, everybody remembers the cameo by Brent Brent Spiner, so we gotta have that. Um, You know, huge ensemble cast, multiple stories spanning the entire United States, alien invasion, how do we fight to, you know, take it back? Uh, rousing speeches and uh, by Bill Pullman, an amazing smartassery, courtesy of Will Smith, um, super sexy geekiness brought to us by Jeff Goldblum, uh, and of course, the ultimate in a stereotypical Hickville kidnapped by aliens given to us by the amazing Randy Quaid. Now, I think that one of the reasons why this movie is so fondly remembered is because it really knew how, at the time, it really spoke to uh, the wide, uh, the, the, the wide and varied and storied differences in the way people looked at and believed in aliens. Also, we're at the height of the X-Files. Um, we are having all this wonderful stuff coming to us back when the Discovery Channel was still the Discovery Channel. And so you have just this perfect time to have a real big ensemble cast film that is just pure destruction a la, you know, Towering Inferno and Poseidon Adventure and what have you, right? Except this is Aliens. Um, and so um, it's definitely hokey. Uh, it was hokey then, but it was a different kind of hokey, you know? And uh, while America was represented properly in the amazing go out there and kick ass, it was cool because it showed that you could be properly American and proud to be American, but at the same time understand that you are part of the world and the world was there to be saved and that the world was taking its roles, the rest of the world was taking its role seriously and trying to defend itself as well. And while that is a minor component to the stories being told from our perspective, it's still really cool. Um, in terms of does it hold up, I think special effects wise, it's not bad. Um, you know, 
yay big budget times this was also right as we were just beginning to kind of really get into cgi seriously uh so the practical effects side and things i think were really cool i think the aliens still look awesome and i think that the stereotypes just hold so true even now that sure as ridiculous and as hokey as the acting has become and as wooden and as stilted as the dialogue is and has just really gotten worse over the years it's just the stupid characters are so damn likable you generally don't care so at the end of the day i would have to say that independence day 1996 did age well um and that's all I have to say about that. What do you got there, Tim? Independence Day was a very good, fun summer movie. And in my opinion, it is still a very good summer fun movie. And that is in part of not only Will Smith's star power and Jeff Goldblum's sexy oddness, but... It was attributed to Roland Emmerich's shockiness as well, because with every single uh, Roland Emmerich movie, especially, well, at least then when they were still relative, all of them were still relatively good and enjoyable, they all have a sense of goofiness, of campiness that every actor embraces. I shouldn't say every actor, but yeah, actually every actor, a schlockiness, a campiness that every actor and everybody else that's working on the film, behind the scenes, embraces completely. Like, everybody is on the same level of schlock. You know, so the movie just works in its own way. It's like the James, it's like James Wan got the idea of his schlocky campiness for his horror movies from Roland Emmerich's schlocky, campy action movies, you know? It's the dialogue, it's it's the it's the characters, it's how the story plays out. It's just damn fun to watch. And I was a youngish when this came out. I think I was eight, nine, ten, or something like that. Uh ninety six. Yeah, and I remember watching it for the first time I think it was like at Thanksgiving, so it wasn't even, I didn't even see that at the movie theater, but I remember when it came out at the movie theater just kind of being freaked out about it, because I remember watching the, uh, the the trailers at the movie theater, and then uh, watching the TV spots, and listening to all the radio advertisements, and it just, the idea of it freaked me out. I was a kid, my mom would watch Unsolved Mysteries in 2020, so I was kind of like spooked by that stuff, and when I finally watched this movie with all my family on Thanksgiving night... Man, I, it just kind of blew my mind. Everything from the special effects to the models that they used. It was amazing. The movie broke major ground at that time. And, and, and especially later on, whenever I picked up, the, got the DVD, and this past week I went online and ordered the brand new 20th anniversary Blu-ray that came out. If you go through and just watch all those special features... Man, it's just as entertaining, maybe even more entertaining than actually watching the film because you actually get to see them make those sets, make those miniatures and models and see how they blew them up to make all those city destruction scenes. And it's just absolutely spellbinding to watch. And the movie was so well made that watching it now, you know, it it still feels like I'm watching it for the first time in, in some ways. And yeah, I think the movie aged well. It's very funny it's well paced and the storytelling is wonderful for 1996 and especially now 
just one 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 bit of advice if you decide to buy the Blu-ray, you'll notice that there is a extended version of the movie on that Blu-ray. I think it's like eight or nine minutes longer. Don't watch it because all the scenes and all the dialogue that you you find really dumb and lovable, but still quirky and entertaining. You know, you know the good amount of quirk that actually works for the movie. The eight minutes, the additional eight minutes, just kind of expounds on the dumbness, which really doesn't work. So stick with the theatrical, and you are all golden. But do check it out again. Yes, I do believe Independence Day 96 aged quite well. Awesome. All right. Well, a resounding yes from the both of us on that one. Outstanding. Uh, Let's see here. So next week, our bonus segment is going to be Copycat Throwdown. And we are probably going to be doing, like, it's not like the penultimate, but it is definitely one of the most obvious choices. But that's okay, because it's one that's been a long time coming. We've done this about a dozen times now, and I think we need to go ahead and do the elephant in the room. Deep Impact versus Armageddon. So that is going to be yeah, it's, our... It's the ultimate summer copycat throwdown. True, ultimate true. Ultimate summer movie, true. big destruction... I... I must concur. All right, and that is going to be so that's going to be our bonus segment for next week. And without further ado, I believe that brings us to the movies, does it not, sir? Yes, it does. <laughs> Very good. Here we go, folks. It's the movies. <laughs> This week's movies are The Lobster and Independence Day Resurgence. Um, I guess if I may, I, I feel weird, over, kind of like I'm overstepping my bounds here, but since we just did Independence Day, should we start with Independence Day Resurgence? Sure, let's do it. All right, then, here we go. Independence Day Resurgence, American science fiction film directed by Roland Emmerich and written by Emmerich, Dean Devlin, Nicholas Wright, James A. Woods, and James Vanderbilt. Of course, this is the sequel to Independence Day. It stars Liam Hemsworth, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman, Jesse Usher, Micah uh, Monroe, or Maika Monroe, Seal Award, Brent Spiner, and William Fitchner among others, like returning people such as Jed Her- Judd Hirsch and Brent Spiner. Um, and, you know, Vivica A. Fox, right? So you got to have as many of the people come back. Um, all right, so basically this is 20 years after the first film, clearly. Um, we now have an Earth defense system. We've got people on the moon. We've got people on the Mars. Uh, on the Mars. On Mars. Um, and the world has kind of continued on. We have a global defense system. People are liking each other in that. Um, we also have people like former president, uh, played by Bill Pullman, who are like psychically linked and shit still. Um, and, uh, now we know that they're coming, but there might even be friendly aliens who are here to help, but we don't know. Um, and, and then we, but we've got bad aliens and motherships and yeah. So this is basically, um, a sequel that we didn't need. And I don't really know that anybody asked for per se. Um, 
It is literally for shit writing that while it was endearing the first time around, we need to move forward and it's not been moved forward at all. Um, it is a pretty piss poor story. If nothing else, it's just social commentary on how man never learns and we always have to do the same things like ring theory over and over again. Um, which is kind of dumb because the whole point of the original Independence Day was overcoming that and learning to get together. And I think that with when you get when you have the rest of the fucking universe to deal with let's just pretend for once that we've gotten over it so that we can have really cool fights instead of just no you wrong you were wrong before david you were oh wait no you were right but you're wrong this time david oh wait you're kind of right again you know what Fuck it. Dude, seriously. I mean, it's like watching the same fucking movie again, except worse characters, worse writing, no great stereotypes, no nothing to bring things together, just cameo fucking appearances by people who were in the other movie that survived, and, like, retarded CGI shit. This movie's fucking terrible. The only thing that's the only thing I liked about it was honestly was just Jeff Goldblum and a little bit of Bill Pullman. I I mean once you get over his fucking weirdness and shit, because uh, he's like he's still relevant and he's still important, but he's really weird at the same time. Um, and I guess Brent Spiner was pretty cool. So I give this movie one star. I hate this movie. This movie didn't need to be made. It needs to resurge itself back to the fucking depths of fucking Emmerich's mind. Okay, let's do that. Let's desearch, not research. Uh, one star. So you hated this movie, huh? <laughs> I did. I absolutely hated this movie. So I, I went in this movie expecting it to be another modern Roland Emmerich movie. He hasn't made a, a use good movie lightly, but I should say an entertaining movie in a while. And that movie to me was The Day After Tomorrow. I mean, I haven't seen it in a handful of years, so who knows if I still even like it. But I at least remember that movie being entertaining. Jake Gyllenhaal was in it, and it had better acting, I guess, than his latter movies, especially better than 2012 and 10,000 BC. Well, I guess White House Down wasn't too bad. Yeah, I think we both enjoyed that one. Anyways, Independence Day is a good idea if you were going to make independence day even though i too agree we really didn't need it but if you were wanting to make a trilogy out of it this was a pretty good way to go i like the universe expanding that they did with the characters and the story especially by the end of the movie though pretty much a letdown i was kind of excited and slightly giddy for the idea of part three uh, and I think Brett Spiner had a big part to do with it, too, now that he's kind of a, a bigger character. But the first thing I wanted to mention was the, spe the special effects. God, the special effects are pretty outstanding. Amazing widescreen special effects shots. It's, it's just beautifully shot and well-designed and envisioned. I really like the futuristic dystopian world that they presented in this movie, because uh, after they call it the War of 96... They uh, basically all the nations came together. They put away all their petty differences. They all kind of 
uh, helped each other build their cities back up, but they also incorporated the alien software and technology from these downed ships to help better defend themselves from future attacks. Because I think in the back of their minds, they all knew that something would happen. And yet, they don't believe Bill Pullman's character. They just don't believe the impending doom of the Earth is a lot sooner than 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 what maybe they actually think. And maybe with him kind of coming out and saying this stuff so close to July 4th, the 20th anniversary, maybe you think at least somebody important would listen to him. I don't know. I did see this movie in IMAX and in 3D. Uh, I do believe it was absolutely worth it, especially if you go to an early showing when it doesn't cost all that much. Great sound, great special effects, great dogfight scenes. Uh, you know, it, it, it had a lot of good stuff in it. And you can also, like with every Roland Emmerich movie, you should bring in your Roland Emmerich checkoff sheet where you can check off everything that Roland Emmerich movies contain. For example, dazzling effects, mass destruction, globe trekking, and by God, does this movie have probably the most random fucking globe trekking than any Roland Emmerich movie. Um, globe trekking as in various characters in various different parts of the world just kind of show up because for some reason they're an integral part of the story. Subplots and side characters. This movie has probably some of the worst Roland Emmerich side characters than any other Roland Emmerich movie. I don't know if that says a lot or not. I think this movie would have been a lot better if they got rid of at least one of the side characters, one of the side characters being... I guess, what was he, Jeff Goldblum's assistant, really stupid assistant who is kind of a wuss, a really annoying wuss who turns out to be, like, he proves himself to, I guess, the audience that he's really a a fighter at heart. I don't know, it was really stupid kind of, you know, inner self-retribution kind of character that just really doesn't work. He was annoying and he was dumb, and to me, he actually really kind of ruined the movie quite a bit for me because every time the movie would get going with a fight scene or with a special effects sequence it would go to one of these side characters and more than not they would say something stupid they would do something stupid and it just kind of put a stop to everything that happened right before uh movement wise and subplots so subplots one of the dumbest subplots in this movie is that there are there are these i think were they russian or german or i think they were russian or i, I don't remember Men in a fishing boat, or not in a fishing boat, they're in a boat somewhere in the ocean, and they're digging for treasure, and all of a sudden, the, one of the big ships, uh, I think it was the mothership, is trying to drill down into the Earth's core to suck up the energy from the core, the lava from the core, whatever, to basically refuel the ship. And so they get tasked to monitor the drilling into the Earth's core, and for some reason, because they are able to look for buried treasure at the bottom of the sea, they're, they are able to monitor this big mothership's beam going into the Earth's core. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And yet, they keep cutting back to these characters, and as the movie goes on, like all these other side characters and side plots, they uh, mold the movie to where they expect you to actually care for these people. Like when so-and-so's mother dies, you're supposed to care about that. So-and-so had had a past, and you're supposed to care about that. But really, when it comes down to it, you really don't. And I think a big issue is uh, was, was uh, that I had 
uh, with characters was Liam Hemsworth's character because I think Liam Liam Hemsworth I'm having a very difficult time pronouncing his name because I do want to see Chris Hemsworth the more successful brother but Liam Hemsworth good looking guy I'm sure he's a fine actor but he was supposed to be the Will Smith character in this movie I'm sure if Will Smith was in the movie he would be this guy yet he lacked the charisma he lacked the acting chops and he lacked the smart assiness that he needed to really pull off this character. And this movie really lacked the grounded character to really carry the story, to really take charge and carry the story, like Will Smith did in the original film. And that is really all the beef I have with this movie. Unnecessary uh, side characters, dumb subplots, and dumb side characters. But yet... The effects are absolutely dazzling. And to me, that somewhat made the IMAX in 3D absolutely worth it. So if you're going to see it, do check it out in IMAX and 3D. Though I did not hate it as much as Matt. Therefore, I give it 2.5 out of 5. Well, alright. So, you definitely... uh, Liked it more than I did. That's for sure. (laughs) Uh, But we have... uh... I guess it wouldn't be hard to like it more than I did at that point. Uh, so, But last but not least, though, we do have The Lobster, which is a 2015 absurdist dystopian comedy drama film. And this was directed, co-written, and co-produced by Yorgos Lanthimos. And it stars Colin Farrell, Rachel Weiss, Jessica Barden, Olivia Coleman, Ashley Jensen, Ariane Labed, Angeliki Pop. Papulia, John C. Riley, Leah Sado, Michael Smiley, and Ben Wishaw. What we have here is the story of a man named David, played by Colin Farrell, who has discovered that his wife has basically left him for another man, and he gets escorted to a hotel. Now, this is kind of a weird society where you are actually not allowed to be single. <laughs> um, if you don't um, find love or coupling or what have you basically you are turned into i I, for lack of a better term your spirit animal because you get to pick your animal but you're turned into this animal and then you go back uh, they just release you into the wild and so this hotel area resort whatever has all sorts of weird rules Uh, like you can't masturbate but you you basically have to be sexually pleased by the staff or whatever, uh, <laughs> um, among other things. And so they try to, and basically the idea is that uh, with much propaganda and much social engineering, they try to put people together based on um, physical attributes, basically. And then, of course, this is the misad- the misadventures of David as he negotiates this environment and finds what is both there and beyond it. And the interesting things is that even though there is something beyond it, it's absurdity on both ends. And finding, striking the balance while pointing out the absurdity is where the, is where the movie really hits its stride. Um, this is a fantastic movie. Uh, it's just so completely over the top. Imagine, if you will, Fahrenheit 451 meets Napoleon Dynamite. 
Now, that sounds like a completely weird thing, but it's kind of what it is. It's just so ridiculously absurd, like Napoleon Dynamite, that you just want, you just can't help but laugh. On the same token, it's so completely uh, fascist and dystopian on both sides of this world that David finds himself in, that it's a lot like Fahrenheit 451. So, uh, and yet it works. It works. It really works. The characters are all, are virtually all really interesting and amazing. And even some of the dull ones are, I feel are there um, to purposely contrast, compare and contrast with the more innovative ones. And I really, I just really think that, uh, the direction was spot on. I felt that the cinematography, while not outstanding, definitely lets keeps you in the environment that you need to be in. And it's almost like its own box, right? That that you want to explore more of, but at the same time, you can feel that you're in this box and that you are with David as he works through here. And then, of course, Rachel Weiss is the short-sighted woman um is also very interesting and a neat dynamic that kind of shows that a different level of absurdity but at the same time how people take what they feel to be love and what they do with it um the only problem with that I felt with this movie was that the idiosyncratic routine you find that is juxtaposed on both sides really kind of belabors itself especially when you get into the final act of the movie and and while it's fun and you get the absurdity and you realize that it is definitely a satire and you understand uh the couple driven world that we live in that it's being compared to i just feel like it just by the end of the movie is really beating you over the head with it because it's something that I felt you couldn't escape from even while you're watching the movie. And so I'm going to have to give it four and a half out of five. I think that if it had been more nuanced throughout, I think it could have been a full five-star movie. I think the direction is fantastic. I love the characters. I thought the acting was good. Uh, Cinematography checks out nicely. And it's just absolutely absurd fun. So 4.5 out of five. Bring us home there, Tim. For it being a rather dull movie, and in this instance, I don't I don't consider dull being a bad thing. For it being two hours, it's rather entertaining. But I do believe the movie would have been better as well if, if it was nuanced and if it was maybe 15 minutes shorter. Because after a while, it just kind of felt like it wasn't really necessarily building to anything and I kind of think that might have been the point but it's the ending you know that kind of really gets me like I get it I totally get it but I just didn't think it was really necessary how they went ahead and made it a little bit obscure or they're trying to be obscure the movie is very unique incredibly unique it's well told well acted and like I said, it's it's entertaining. For what it is, it's entertaining. Um, I chuckled, I had a hearty chuckled, <laughs> heartily chuckled quite a few times, but never really laughed out loud. Like, uh, I mean, I've read many reviews since I saw it, and people are like gut-busting laughs, and I really don't understand why. 
And I really don't think this was a movie that was aiming for that. I think this was maybe a movie that we were supposed to relate to in some way. Um, I read an interview with the director where he was saying that the inspiration from this movie came from the idea that people are put under so much pressure as to finding their perfect companion. And there are multiple groups of people, those who are trying to find that perfect companion and feel pressure to do so. There are those who just really don't care. But then there are those people that want to be alone, and they find those groups of people, like in this movie, that are, you know, that want to be alone. But still, they live by, or they are forced to live by certain guidelines. So no matter where you go, you're, you know, there are oppressive rules and guidelines to live by. And so the world they created was very unique. It's very interesting. You don't get a whole lot of backstory. And as the movie goes on, uh, you learn a little bit more about the characters. But for some reason, I just felt like that wasn't enough. Or maybe we didn't learn about the right things. Uh, and, the, and especially character development-wise, I mean, you see, uh, I, th- I think more of Colin Farrell's character, like his quirks come out a little bit more as the movie goes on. And his ideas or his ideals come out a little bit more as the movie goes on. But nothing really more than that. Now, was the movie trying to do that? No, not at all. That's why, you know, it doesn't bother me as much. Because the movie wasn't trying to be something. Or it, it didn't fail at trying to be something that it didn't achieve. The movie is exactly like it was wanting to be. And that's what makes it unique and very interesting. I thought it was a very good ensemble cast I love the locations. I love me some Olivia Coleman. She played the, uh, what was she? She was the manager of the hotel. That little dance that her and her partner do during that ball scene or that dance scene where they're on the stage. I forget what song they were singing, but they were doing that very lame and depressing dance. You know, the arms swaying from side. It's so funny. I thought that was great. But I she is, she is great. Like everything else she is in, she did a good job. But as to Raiding the Lobster, I enjoyed it a lot, but I do have my reservations as to exactly what it was trying to achieve at the end. It just ended up feeling one note. So 3.75 out of 5 probably could have gone a little bit lower, but I do like the uniqueness and the originality of the film. So 3.75 out of 5, The Lobster. Right on, right on. Well, I, I don't know. I think that's I don't I don't necessarily think that that's a that's an unfair score, um, based on uh, you know the things that we had uh, that that you know we were looking at from different perspectives. So compared to Independence Day Resurgence, the movie was yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. All right. Well, that does bring us to the end of the movies there. And next week's movies are going to be The BFG and The Legend of Tarzan, both in theaters. So I think without further ado, that brings us to the spiel. Does it not, sir? Spiel on. All right. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at 
SLScast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can also follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can also climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. And as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Rachel Weiss, I get to say this. I sometimes do worry that actors are people's role models, you know, and doctors and teachers and people doing really important things just get paid nothing, and they put us on the cover of magazines. They should be our heroes. I find it all a bit dubious. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.